0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Laura Whitfield, author of Untethered, Faith, Failure, and Finding Solid Ground. When Laura Whitfield was 14, her extraordinary brother, Lawrence, was killed in a mountain climbing accident. That night, she had an epiphany. Life is short, dream big, even if it means taking risks. So after graduating from high school, she set out on her own, prepared to do just that. She made the move to the Big Apple to pursue her dreams in the big city while waiting tables and trying to find love. But nothing seemed to work. And there was only one thing Laura could think of to get back on her feet. She moved back to North Carolina. A stirring memoir about a young woman's quest to find hope and stability after devastating loss, she learns that taking risks and failing can lead to a bigger life than you've ever dared to imagine. She's been an advertising copywriter, newspaper columnist, staff writer for an international relief agency, travel writer, as well as a personal assistant to a New York Times best selling author. Welcome to the show, Laura. Nice to have you on today.
1: Oh, Thank you, Catherine. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I, hope,
0: it, it, I mean, it's important to hear everybody's stories, and I think one of the things that, that you've said, you suffered a, a terrible loss. At this point, I think it, most of us do in our lifetime, but in the past couple of years, we'd have to say the whole world, all of us have se- suffered a terrible loss. And, and the impact that that's had on all of us individuals and our families uh, is something that we are deal- continue to deal with. So how can we relate that to your story um, to ta- you know, start with, with what happened to you and with what happened to your brother. Okay. Um,
1: yes, I agree that we've had this, um, this loss over the past couple of years. It's just been extraordinary. Um, nothing that any of us have, have ever lived through. Um, my story started when I was 14, my brother was 23 he, um, as you, as you mentioned, he was extraordinary. Um, he, I adored him. He was my, uh, true north and, um, just treated me like an adult and, um, was just, I just idolized him. But he went off to the University of Edinburgh after he graduated from UNC Chapel Hill and he was studying William Blake and uh, finally joined the mountain climbing club and they were taking their, um, most rigorous climb in February, and um, he fell 1,000 feet to his death, and uh, that news just shattered my world, my family's world, um, and I, my story is about picking up the pieces and figuring out how to go on. It was 1971, and there, had, there was no therapy offered. People didn't say, oh, how are you feeling? Would you like to go to therapy or talk to someone? Um, we just stuffed our grief which, as you know, can have just horrible implications. Yeah. Uh, we act out when we don't get a chance to express ourselves and talk about what's bothering us. And so that's what happened to me. Um, and I'm assuming that I, happened to
0: the whole family. Yeah. You said we stuffed our grief. I mean, when to your, to your parents, to you. So nobody talked about how they were feeling or it was pretending, or maybe describe to us more in detail what did happen?
1: Right, that's a great question. My dad grew up in the the era when men just didn't talk about feelings at all, so he carried on with a uh, smile. He was a very precious man. He carried on with a smile and was our, our rock. My mom went into a very deep depression for five years. She medicated with Valium. Um, just, she was teaching at the time, but she could just barely get through her days. And I just made my way through somehow. I, I went to uh, high school that fall and made some new friends, and they took me to a crusade. And um, I accepted Jesus that fall. I'd always gone to church, but there was something about them that was just so full of life and joy and peace, and I wanted that. And really, that new faith I had buoyed me up. It gave me something to hope for. I had a really great high school experience, so my high school years were very happy, and I think that's what got me through, Uh, but we just never talked about it. My mother would talk about Lawrence sometimes, but we just didn't really bring it up, but she could definitely see the fallout
0: and the aftermath. And so you see high school was a good experience for you, as you say, that carried you through. Uh, but it it sounds like, I mean, carrying you through is one thing, but really working through is what you needed to do. Needed to work through these three, work through your grief, and that's what you eventually did do.
1: Right. That's you're right. That's a whole that's a whole another thing. Um, I've actually spent my entire life working through my grief and trying to understand it, and I I think I've come to a pretty good place. And I did a lot of Soul searching last year, as we went through the pandemic, we sheltered pretty tightly at home, um, and fortunately, we got through. Our family did, and my children. And um, but I, but I saw all around me, and it just it really stirs it up for you if you've gone through a traumatic experience, and you see others going through it. We all knew someone that had COVID, or someone who had lost someone from COVID. So, um, grief can be triggering, as
0: you know. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that's a trigger, and I guess my next question is, how did you handle it differently? You mentioned your your children, your husband. What was different for you as a family when you know, because the and when you're grieving, family friends who were very sick or died, uh, or just the grieving the loss of of your lifestyle, of your life, of the way you go about your business and quarantining. That's grieving. That is also important.
1: Right. I think what I've learned over the years is that grief is just a normal part of life. It, um, we grieve lots of things and just to hold space for that, um, just to let it be, to sit with it and to learn to be comfortable with it in a strange way, um, is, is for me is the healthiest thing I can do. I also do a lot of self care. I meditate. <clears throat> Time in nature is really healing for me. Um, I read. I just sit in quiet, uh, beautiful music. There's just lots of things I do to care for myself when I'm feeling that grief triggered. And uh, that's
0: that's how I dealt with it. What would you say is the impact on your children? And I'm assuming I, that it would be different for each one of them.
1: I think my youngest daughter had a baby last year and she went through, she was going through covid as a pregnant young woman, and that was very hard. Um, there are a lot of people that went through that. She had to go to several of her doctor's appointments by herself, and she was even wondering if her husband could join her in the hospital. Unfortunately, he was able to do that. And we quarantined so we could go and see the baby. She was really the only person I spent time with last year in the family. Um, I saw my other children outside, masked, but they, I think they, they're very resilient. They all handled it really well. One of my daughters is a nurse. She was in the hospital working. That was very hard for her, as you can imagine. She's not, she was not in a COVID unit, but she works with um, eating disorders and still was affected by the environment of people coming in and in an emergency situation. So I think we fared pretty well and we've come out on the other side. So, it's it's great. I'm really grateful.
0: What would you say, you know, you're just you're talking about resilience and that word keeps coming up obviously in relation to COVID and we have to be resilient and resilient. What does resilience mean? Does that mean what is it? Is it is it just reacting to something and, and not letting it get you down? Or is it really going forward and, and making something positive out of something that is a loss, something that you are grieving over?
1: I, I love that question. I listened to your interview with Harlan Cohen, and he, as he talked about rejection and resilience and how to um, how to handle rejection, and uh, it really resonated with me because what what I've learned through my life. When I was younger, let me back up a little bit. When I was younger, I was definitely a perfectionist, and also trying to win the favor of my mother and her love. And so I set the bar very high just as when I went to New York, I didn't want to just model. I wanted to be on the cover of all the teen magazines. So I was, I was bound to fail and, and also just set myself up for disappointment, no matter how it went, it would not be good enough. So I guess what um, now I've learned, my perfectionism, I've pretty, pretty much healed from that. I don't, strive to be perfect anymore. I know better. But I think what I've learned, I always try to learn from things. So nothing is wasted in my life. If if things don't go as I planned or hoped, I just look at it and go, well, what can I learn? How can I move forward? And I do that. And that's, as you know, is what builds resilience. So I'm a pretty resilient person. I I don't take rejection personally anymore. I I think, well, not a good fit or... That wasn't the best thing to try, or well, let me try this, and then I I do that. <laughs> I just keep moving forward.
0: Yeah, you know, I think in moving forward, and you said this that uh, learning to take those risks. I mean, that's I think that's critical, and then and then failing can lead to something bigger and better. Um, and, and so, don't stay away from. I mean calculated risk, we don't want people <laughs> doing crazy kinds of things, but emotional risk I <laughs> right. guess, yeah, uh, is what we're talking about, and that that's okay, and that you can fail. I don't even know if we have to describe it as failure. Um, maybe just you don't get the results that you thought you would get or anticipated, right? Get different results. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. I, failure is a, is a loaded word, as you know. Um, it's funny. My, my subtitle of my book had been Love, Lost. And the search for solid ground. And after my uh, advanced reader copies came out, my publisher called and she said, "The marketing team feels like that you need to have something about faith and failure in your title." And I, my first thought was, "Oh my! To have a book with the word failure in the title—that's very daunting. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not sure about this." But we changed it, and I love it um, because I agree with you. Fail- failure is. is it's it's really for me. It's not really failing. It's just learning and trying something different. And and you're right. Just taking another chance and not shutting down. And, and as Brene Brown talks about, uh, building walls and um, just staying vulnerable and brave is really the the key. I think.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's the key, and I think it's critical and really critical right now. I, I always like to, and I don't always do this, but g- given your book and and you know, uh, how do we put that in the context of of COVID right now? As you say, it's been two years, quarantined with your family, you've managed. Um, but uh, one of the things I think that keeps coming up is people that I talk to, whether it's colleagues or friends, is that when is this going to be over? And cause we like to have endings and we like to know when's it can be over and when can we go back to being quote normal, which I don't think is going to happen or the normal right. that we, yeah. And then maybe it will continue. We'll continue to have these kinds of, of pandemics. Uh, how do we handle that and how do we respond to that and accept it? I guess. Yeah,
1: that's, that's been a bit hard for me. I, I was hoping we we got our vaccines and we got boosted, and things were as you said, I, I totally agree there won't we won't go back to where we were before. it's it's something new that we've not experienced. And we're just navigating it, really. We're like we're in this life raft and we're navigating the waters, and we're not sure where we're going to land if we will when but um but I have a book coming out in April, as you know, and and i'm wondering well will i have live events will it all be on zoom i don't know a, a lot of everybody last year launched their books online and they survived and i think well i think about it but i don't go there because there's absolutely nothing i can do about it and it will be fine whatever happens so i just try to when i i wish we weren't in the place we are now i'm hopeful it is better. I try to look back and think, well, a year ago, where were we? There were no vaccines. We didn't even know what to do to take care of ourselves. Um, we weren't wearing masks much. Uh, it's just, it's so interesting. So we, we have come a long way and I just try to remind myself of that. So whatever happens, we've survived this. I think we'll survive
0: what comes next. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I, I think about that too. A year ago or a year and a half ago, uh, we, had, we were at least the general public, I'm not so sure that scientists were as ignorant as we were or uninformed, but now we are (laughs) informed. Now we have vaccines. Now we do wear masks. Now I will go to places that I would not have gone to obviously before when I wasn't vaccinated and didn't uh, and, and you know I was wearing masks, but you know I wasn't vaccinated. Um, so it has changed in in a, in a very positive way, and and that's a good thing. And and just to add to that, I know a lot of people who are vaccinated. They've gotten COVID, but not very. They're not very sick um, because they are vaccinated, mm-hmm. um, and that's a good thing. Uh, one of the other things that you just alluded to was ambivalence, being able to incorporate that ambivalence into your expectations. Like you say, you might have to launch your book on Zoom, not in person, but being able to accept right. that. Yeah. Because I think that's not so easy, whatever the situation is, you know, you, um, maybe not be a, a book launching, but can you be creative about it and do it in a different way than say if you had to do it Zoom- Last year is there are different ways that of doing it um, if you are forced to do that
1: absolutely I I am a I'm sort of the kind of person that was really challenged by things like that <laughs> so I because I am a creative person I'm always trying to find the creative way to do something or a fun way to do something or looking at it more as an adventure now everything is not going to be an adventure but i I tend to have that I have that optimism about things or just sort of try to see where the silver lining is and how I can make this fun and make it the best I can make it, given that it it sucks <laughs> mm-hmm. um, i I have learned a lot about paradox through the pandemic. I have read a lot of Richard Rohr and just thought a lot about paradox about holding two things that are true at the same time and I think that's really helped me navigate ambivalence when I think well yes this is true and this is also true and you just hold them both like one in each hand and there's some equilibrium there and I think it just keeps you settled and steady (laughs) So you're not going off on one, you're you're not letting your mind go off on like I could just let my mind go, well what is it gonna be like if my launch is all virtual and become very depressed and discouraged? Or I could just say, It may be, it may not be, you don't know. Just be prepared for whatever happens. And that
0: seems to work for me. So what do you think in terms of being prepared for whatever happens? All the things that I mentioned in the beginning when I introduced you, um, you've been a travel writer, blogger, teacher, uh, director for several nonprofits. I could go on and on. You've had a lot of different kinds of experience. Is there any one of those experiences that has been the most helpful to you? Or is it a combination of just having had all of these different kinds of experiences? I, I love that.
1: I, I really think it's everything. We're the sum total of all the things we've been. And I love the Madeline Lingle quote that we are all the ages we've ever been. I learned that when I wrote my memoir. As I as I wrote about being fourteen, and my book goes from the age of fourteen until I'm thirty-two, so it covers about twenty years. um, I got into the skin, literally, of every age that I used to be, and became that person again. That was the only way I could write in those scenes and remember those things, my feelings, what I experienced, those memories. And I just, I really believe all the things I've done. And I can see now as an author, my copywriting experience, my nonprofit experience, uh, just my communications director experience working for a New York Times bestselling author certainly prepared me. And I'm really grateful for all those experiences. i I've done a lot of things and I'll keep doing new things. I'm all about finding another adventure and really just doing the next thing, just staying open to what might happen next. You never know where your journey is going to take you.
0: No, you don't know where it is, but you have some, it's always, you know, that balance. You do have, because you keep saying this, you know, taking risks, going ahead, making decisions that propel you into different kinds of experiences, because a lot of people don't do that. They hold back. Well, I'm not going to do this because this could happen I'll play it safe. And then they sort of get to the end of the journey and regret the fact that, whoa, I probably should have done some of those things. And, and I don't think anybody really wants to be there.
1: No, I, I have a story, that, a brief story I can share. I was, I was a kindergarten teacher for 15 years, and I majored in economics in college, and I was coming through during the 1982 recession, which was terrible, and I was determined to be a stockbroker, and at the time I interviewed, um, MBAs were just coming out, so I was competing with MBAs, and I did not get a job, and I ended up going into advertising and which which is wonderful. And, but um, I guess 10 years into my teaching career, I was struggling to make ends meet and I was thinking about what things I'd done in my life, what I hadn't done, my, my bucket list, I guess you'd say. And I thought, well, I, I never became a stockbroker. So I, I contacted someone I knew who was in finance and he set me up with some interviews and I got In one firm, I got into my fourth interview. I had interviewed with all the principals, and I had taken my math test, and by some miracle passed, and I was pretty sure the next day they were going to offer me a job. And that night, I had a dream that I had gotten a cancer diagnosis, and that my, my daughters were in high school, they were about to graduate, and that I had spent the last couple of years of my life working 70 to 90 hours a week making cold calls. And I thought, that's not what I want to do. Um, if I don't want to waste their last few years at home, I want to be with him. I'd always been with him as much as possible. So I called him the next day. I thanked him graciously. And I said, I really want you to just keep teaching and be with my daughters. And two years later I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I, I look back and I'm so grateful that I had that time with my children. I, I was fine. It was stage one. Um, I'm fine now. But there, there are times where we do take risks and we realize, no, I really don't want to do this after all. And then, then you realize that what you're doing is actually the best path. Uh,
0: that's a great story and obviously a great ending. And I think just honing in on what you said, because it is difficult For people, once they sort of get going on something, to stop and say, "No, this isn't working." That's a critical thing too. I like to. We only have a couple minutes left, but that's just as important (laughs) as going ahead and taking the risk. To be able to stop in the middle and say, "Mm -mm, "Not going to do it. It's not going to work." Right. Yeah. So, two minutes left. So, Laura, give us a website and/or websites we can go to for more information about your work, what you do, and um, and about the book.
1: Okay. Um, my website is laurawitfield.com, L-A-U-R-A-W-H-I-T-F-I-E-L-D.com. And I have links there for my book and a uh, description of my book and my blogs there and events that I'm doing. And just sign up for my newsletter if you'd like to keep track of all that. Um, but I'm... I'm very excited to be here, really grateful for this opportunity to speak with you and get to know you. And, um, I'm really hoping my book will be helpful to someone. I, I, I took a very circuitous route <laughs> through my life and navigating my grief. And, um, but I've learned a lot and, um, I, I think that I know that already. It's helped some people. I've I've gotten some really great feedback from people that are telling me that it
0: resonates with them. So hopefully, it will with others. Well, thank you for being on the show. I I know it resonates and uh, sharing the show with us, but sharing your book is definitely something I think that we all need to to read and, and to hear about because it will help us. Um, appreciate your thank being you, on the show. Yeah, stay healthy.
1: Thanks. I've really enjoyed it. Take thank care. You. All right,
0: Bye. you too. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.